0: This is Atlanta Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate.
1: We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show.
0: All right, guys. Welcome back. Um... Man, I don't know about you, Matt, but have you buckled down the hatches or button buttoned up the hatches, whatever they say, nailed down the hatches, because it's getting ready to get really, really cold.
1: Yes, we sure do have a lot of cold weather coming our way, and the answer is no. been a little hectic around here, and um, yeah, I see you texted, and I was getting ready to run outside and grab another load of wood for the trailer and um, redo some bedding for the animals, but I will put that on pause to record here, but no doubt. We've got snow, and we've got some negative temperatures settling in in southern Missouri. And I think a lot of the country is getting ready to experience this weather, too.
0: Yeah. I know just that uh, holidays. I just looked here. We haven't had a white Christmas in 10-plus years, I think. Here. Since I've moved out, I'm, we haven't had one. Yeah, and you moved out in fifteen, right? Yes. 2015, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And uh, I know we haven't had one. Um, and then as well, you know, for years for that, I I really don't think we've had a white Christmas since I was in college or uh, even high school. It's been a long, long, long time. Um, and whoops, I muted myself. Um, it's been a long, long time. I don't know if you continue to hear me or not, Matt, but I, I I I muted myself there. So, um, oh goodness i i just looked and they're calling for three inches of rain or three inches of snow mm-hmm. three inches of rain and uh yeah, that would have been something else there 27 and negative six but i think the actual or the the feel like temp uh wind chill on thir- friday morning is like negative 32 they're saying and um so it's gonna get brutal for some animals um, i hope you
1: got your cedar thickets prepped <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, what about the what about your cows? How many bales did you throw out yesterday?
0: Dude, it's been something. I tell you, there's nothing more stressful. I don't think than than lots than cold temps, snow, and having cows. Um, it's like having a whole herd of hungry children. And uh, yeah, I put out the- put out. We put out a bale, and and I and I'm working on getting some. I've put some other types of feed out and then i'll probably get some liquid feed here uh tomorrow or thursday to put out as well and just do everything we can to and we're going to move them into a deep little cut holler um, that's out of the wind and uh, that way they can take shelter there and it's one of those where i think about you know i remember reading books growing up like little house on the prairie given the fact that i grew up in mansfield so we had to read those. And I just remember like heavy snow and stuff. They'd move their cows into the barn. And, mm-hmm. Man, that, back when you had less cows or really big barns, I don't know, but we don't have a barn big enough to store our, our... so you're like, okay, well, I guess
1: they're cows. They can survive it. But man. Topography it... has saved a lot of animals when it comes to those types of winds, just getting them out, knowing which wind direction. And yeah, they're smart. They know where to go. And, but... and the other thing that kills me
0: is like, I saw something, I sent it to Nikki, um, cause she keeps making the comment about, uh, moving to the mountains and, uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no, um, I maybe temporarily moved there for a month or two or during the summer when the seed ticks are so bad back here. And, yeah. um, I was like, I saw somebody, <laughs> I think it said, uh, it said to all you Yellowstone fans who, uh think that uh, um, to all you who are nice to, uh, for all my Yellowstone friends who want to move to Montana and be a cowboy, negative 54 is not as fun as it sounds. <laughs> that's what yeah. it's supposed to be in parts of Montana uh, this week. Perspective for you. And so uh, no thanks. And you think about all those cattle farmers up there. Think about yeah. like Gabe Brown guy in North Dakota, regenerative farmer. We've been yeah. to his place. There's not a
1: wind block from there to Canada. Dude, you talk about wide open and you talk Oof. about relatively flat. Um, Yeah. There's no ravine. There's no cut. There's no nothing for those cows to get into. And I don't know if his area necessarily got hit, Um, but not only is there really cold temperatures coming, but last week there was – three foot of snow dumped on several portions of South Dakota. So it's like, um, you have these crazy cold temperatures, plus you have three foot of snow in the black Hills. Um, that's one going to make it extremely difficult for just wildlife in general. You can put a bailout for cows supplement and put that on top of snow, but what are the animals who can't forage? What are they doing? Everything's covered in snow um that that's extremely bad conditions and probably gonna have um unfavorable outcomes for wildlife there in the black hills yeah no money, but that's a bad bad scenario bad bad yep
0: horrible just so far shaping up be a terrible year for cattle farmers in much of the united states and crop farmers as well we go from severe drought to already and we're not even it's not officially winter yet and we're experiencing worse than normal winter temperatures and weather. So yeah, I hope yeah. it doesn't continue. It looks like next week's actually supposed to get kind of warm again. So it
1: does. I'm kind of right back out of it. Um, yeah.
0: I'm uh, like the next Thursday is like 55, 43. I'm like, heck yeah. I'm looking forward to next Thursday. Now. Yeah, so anyway, um, and speaking of which, cold weather, Uh, you just got back from a trip to the coldest place in the world, <laughs> the state of Iowa, which seems like sometimes. I've been in, in colder places, colder states on trips, but it seems like every time I go to Iowa, it's
1: cold. Yeah, it's cold and or it's not sunny and or the wind is blowing. And oftentimes it's a combination yeah. of all three of those factors all at once. Um, that pretty much summed up good portions of that trip. Um, Guy but, I used to work with would always say, "Never go to Iowa without your
0: long johns." That was that's wisdom right there. That's a man who went and sounds went. like a man who froze at one point in his life.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, just from from for instance, um, today up there is a high of nine, negative three, and then Thursday is a high, a high of negative six. A low of negative 11, and they are calling for 25-mile-an-hour northwest winds on day as a high of negative 6. So what's the wind chill with that? Negative I don't know. 40, negative
0: 40 because
1: it's 32 here. Probably. Probably. No. And then the next day is a high of negative 3. And then, ooh, it gets above zero on that Saturday. It goes all the way up to – Negative four with the low of negative eleven. Yeah. So, thank goodness I got out of Dodge there because holy junk that that yeah. would have been absolutely. Miserable. I can't even imagine. Uh, I
0: just a lot honest. of times like you and I had this conversation when you're coming back. Like you think the mountains are cold? Try the Upper Great Plains where the wind just blows hundred miles an hour. Like Laramie, Wyoming. I think of oh. Laramie is just a whoo. I mean,
1: it's a wind tunnel. Yes. Yes. And, and for those who haven't like just been out there and I have not experienced winters out there, but even the summer, like you can just hit those wind gaps and hit those areas where it just screams and you're like, holy cow. Like I can't imagine there's snow fences and drifting all over the place because of those winds. And Yeah. yeah, upper Midwest is absolutely no joke the the place where hunt is i mean it's not but just a couple miles off the um iowa nebraska line so there's the missouri river and my mind just goes back to because you drive right through council bluffs and that's the portion of the river that uh, lewis and clark went up and i know that portion that time frame they weren't in the winter time but other portions i'm just sitting here thinking how were those jokers in a boat or in a canoe rafting around paddling and traveling through what I'm experiencing, and I have like, they have different clothes, and they they're very wise on what they're doing. But I'm like, you talk about men; those jokers were men, and what they faced, and any of the frontiersmen um, during those time frames, because it's just, ugh, it would be brutal. Out yeah, there. brutal.
0: No doubt. I, I just you know i was trying to think of i always forget exactly the first winter they stayed in north dakota um Bad, what do they call it camp um or fort oh, near yank yankton, yankton uh, north dakota off the lake um man what was the name of that They called it yeah, fort something you're
1: gonna, you're gonna say it and i'm gonna say oh yeah i've seen that on the map we've driven
0: through that we drew, drove right by it yeah um but anyway uh I just can't even imagine. They didn't have merino wool back then either. No, but they did have or elect or or electric uh, heated vests. Did
1: you get one? Break no, down? I didn't.
0: I didn't get one. But I have. I had a couple people reach out saying you need to get one. And I'm like, I know I do, but I'm certainly going to shop around after what I saw.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Um. But yeah, I I was very fortunate to get up back up to Iowa and, uh, experience the December in Iowa again, um, from a, from a deer blind. That's just lovely. Yeah. Um, and thank goodness for the blind as we're talking about the cold weather. Um, yeah, there's a huge difference between hunting outside. And when you're in those tougher conditions, um, being enclosed in a blind, yeah, sure. It's Mm -hmm. negative or below, freezing in the blind but below freezing out of the wind is way better than um outside in the elements in the wind blowing snow so it's just you it's know wild I think of uh when I was
0: getting my start really filming a lot of stuff um a friend of mine was working for Mark Dury and and uh, so I got roped into doing some filming during the late season with them and he would always say, man, I love late season. I'm like, man, it's so cold. And he goes, yeah, but it's so much fun. And we would go up there and I just remember sleep in. So we didn't get up in the mornings and hunt. So we'd sleep in, eat breakfast, then we'd hang out and eat lunch, get camera footage or camera and everything ready. And then we'd go to the blinds early Yeah. and blinds all had heaters where we would carry a heater with us course there was a little bit of snow so we'd take our boots off and leave them in the back of the blind, so we didn't track snow all over the carpet and we'd crank the heaters and sit in there i mean not even this ton of clothes that not even as many clothes as we'd be wearing in a tree stand in november sure and it was a lot colder and we'd be in the blinds with a with a heater and it was just like this is just silly like this it is just... piles of deer yeah it's we totally saw a ton, of deer. a ton of deer Just a ton of deer I remember and, seeing pheasants and seeing bobcats and turkeys. It was just like the most action-packed. You saw all kinds of stuff, and uh, and you were sitting in a heated blind. It was just like, man,
1: there's things that fifteen-year-old
0: like, Adam right now would
1: be drooling thinking about this. Hmm. Well, that's uh, that's the kind of the, I think the the swing of going into late season. You and I don't normally get to hunt a ton of late season um, options with holidays, but then consulting really kind of ranks back up during middle of december so i mean it's been six seven years since probably had like good pursuits let's say for from a late season standpoint um until last year
0: and i usually limit myself to one buck on the family farm and so in the last several years i've not had a or i've I've already killed so i haven't Mm -hmm. pushed it late season the last late season i hunted where i was hunting myself was uh after that buck we called donuts in muzzle season and yeah we had an opportunity to him but sorry sucker he kind of looped in did something funny and got our wind and skirted out
1: right well it's just it it's such a different style of hunting it's almost like the front half of the season and the back half like kind of mirror themselves from a um don't typically just absolutely grind things out um, you kind of pick your days, you pick your weather fronts, and you pick your time frames, and it's generally over food. Um, but it's either hot on one side of it and then it's super cold on the other side. But this year was was a little bit different from that scenario because of changes that we had, let's say, accomplished. And this is with Monona Land um restoration group up there as well. And the work that had been recommended put in place really kind of changed how intense you could hunt this one farm in particular. Um, and so all in all, it was a little bit more of a grind this last trip than it was the trip prior last trip prior was brand new farms purchased in like October. So you hunt it then in December and you're a lot more observation type sets and evenings you're kind of like okay we can get there we think that's the right wind to hunt it a lot more learning scenarios yeah then we took all that information put together in a plan execute you know a a good bit of work and we'll talk about some of that work here uh, during the podcast but now it's like going into this year you can hunt much more intensely mornings and evenings because of one the movement shifted but then access and fortunate with some of the winds that we had to be able to hunt um it, it was it was three three different blinds but really one was hunted the most because access just allowed for it um yeah. and you close up the blind and really deer come in film and um and and shoot out of one window pretty much. So it just worked out extremely well, but difference from one year to the next on intensity, what was definitely different.
0: Yeah. Uh, And and I I just remember, you know, last year it was new farm observing, but knowing it was a good area, of course, great state, good area, good neighborhood and killed both uh, killed two bucks out of it last year it was like man for 137 acres that's that's pretty good and and uh, no
1: work done prior like there there was nothing going into that season they just those deer were there um standing grain was left and just what we thought would be good places so no it basically just let's do it here and let's yeah. do it here and call it good yeah how
0: how uh how far was the shot last year
1: one ninety.
0: How far was the shot this year?
1: One hundred and ten.
0: Oh, so at least you got closer. <laughs>
1: I got, I got closer, but it was on like complete flip side of of basically that that same focal area. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about the, that that scenario because I was thinking about this earlier today a little bit. Um, there's things I think to look for during late season that really elevate the attractiveness to the area but the same can be said from an early season standpoint and if those who are are pretty loyal listeners you heard and probably saw the podcast um, with Seth Harker when he harvested a buck early season this year this was the first four days of season hunted hard over a large food source but what deer were really keen into on those hunts, because it was warm, was a shade line due to a, a, a pine line planted. A, how long ago do you think that was planted, Adam? Eight ten years ago, that pine line through there. Hmm. I maybe, don't know. I, maybe I was
0: four. thinking more than that. I
1: was thought it was more closer to fifteen. Maybe so. We got pines, about four rows worth pines, splitting this field early season that basically in an afternoon you've got shade that those pines cast across this field. And um, Seth oh, had. I know said, what you're talking can't...
0: about. Sorry. I was, I was working on audio settings. There was a little bit of background noise okay. and I was digging into that while you were talking. So I was kind of loosely listening. No, you're right. I think they're nine years old. Cause I yeah. text him about the age of them trying to expect what mine would turn into in sure. less than 10 years.
1: So. That change of temperature, that attraction, um, that refuge, let's say from the heat of the sun in that time of season was an area that was, let's, let's say super attractive, uh, during daylight hours for does, fawns, mature deer, everything that would come out to that field to feed would migrate to that shade line, um. And that really changed the game of trail camera settings, um, where, where the locations were, and how we were able to hunt that field. Eventually, targets and kills a great deer off yeah. that field. But we saw definite attraction from a shade line. In in this field, in this hunt, what we saw last year, and the, for those who don't know Western Iowa, there's it's the lust Hills. So it's essentially sandy, steep slopes that were blown in post-glacier times all that sediment created these hills and you've got narrow valleys and and then you've got just flat plains essentially with these hills erupting through them but they're nasty and pretty sharp um so yeah, as to me
0: it's about- like yeah I, I guess the best way i could describe it would be um thinking about um You know, just big sand ridges, like there's nothing real firm about it. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's a little bit like, uh, it's very, I don't know, just loose. It's highly erodible. And so Mm -hmm. you think about, you know, if you were to take sand and pile it in a mound and let the rain hit it, it's going to slough off. So you've got these like almost like real steep ridges, but very erodible and it causes, I don't I don't know if I'd say like here in the Ozarks in comparison, um s- not as much elevation in the less Hills in that part, but very uh just a just a different landscape than these big rounded like Ozark Mountains or Wachita Mountains.
1: There's nothing rounded about it. They're they're sharp transitions, yeah, they're very abrupt, and uh it just creates some some really cool, like almost canyon like type activity and ravines and cuts that are um really interesting to hunt but what that really allows for is um i'm going to show you a picture here real quick adam um okay but look what's on top of this ridge if you can see it looks like a deer yeah so hope i'll post one of these on social media there's there's two deer this is from the blind morning one and um the sun is casting itself right on that, um, that really high point, which is one of the lust hills. And we are several hundred feet, well, probably 200 feet down below it, but on that, like high spot that's getting baked with sun, um, a couple of deer come across this high point, just the peak. Um, so it was re- really kind of cool, but they just bam popped up and although several, several hundred yards away, um, just basking in the sun. It was kind of a cool, photographic let's say opportunity but um essentially these these hills and and whatnot they just erupt out of the ground but what it does is create opportunities because much of the flat ground or mildly sloping ground in this portion of the country is farmed like everything is farmed Um, so you have really fertile soils down the bottoms and on this particular farm there is a field that runs north to south and last year it had this giant um like elbow turn like an upside down l um that was all planted as of last year and then um it is situated between two of these big main ridges of Lus hills we call the farm hogback hills just because of the um kind of hogback situation that those hills create but you have essentially this valley that runs north to south in the center of this farm. And it's the focal point of the farm. It's probably 180, maybe in some portions, 200 yards across, but anywhere from 150 to 180. Um, and in the center of this thing, because of these giant hills that it surrounds, it's almost like the stadium like feeling with these giant hills on a Northwest wind you don't really feel wind down there period. It's very calm. So um, there were several days where we had the very first part of the week. They had to be able to get up there. Um, we had a Southeast wind and we felt the Southeast wind that, that Valley felt that harsh Southeast. Um, we had some days that were 30 mile an hour winds just blowing hard and we could feel the redneck shaking the windows kind of vibrating. And you could see corn that was still standing, just blowing tops. But as soon as that weather changed, middle of the week, and we got northwest winds, not only did we see deer sightings increase because of changes in the temperature, but we saw the corn got blowing. We saw things just settle down. Just the way that wind then works in the valley with the northwest super calm. So deer are out of the wind, very similar to that early season scenario talking about the shade line late season. We played that to our advantage, kind of recording those observations from last year and saying we need grain here and we need it here on this portion of the fields, but it has to be here because that's the most out of the wind spot and Northwest winds are pretty much subtle. You might get a five, eight mile an hour wind, but for instance, the day that I harvested the buck, 35-mile-an-hour 30, winds, and it was pretty, pretty low wind speed up this valley um, that we were able to push in a little bit farther this year versus years past. So huge advantage, though, from a hunting scenario, just thinking about the wind during late season. No doubt. Uh, my biggest question is,
0: a lot of times when you're in one of those little valleys, those little secluded valleys, and the wind is coming over the top of the ridges, is there any backdraft? Do you notice that at all? Or do you feel like you're far enough back into the, like not so much your nose into the cubby, but or the cubby hole that is that field, you feel See, you're far enough back I, that you still are fine?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. There, There is that on some portions of the field, especially at those wind speeds, Right. Um, you're just going to have some of those areas that are naturally going to swirl. And one of the areas that Brenton has tried to bow hunt, um, is one of those in particular. It's just, it's like, oh my gosh, you just want to be right there. But it's tried on quite a few wind scenarios and wind speeds. Um, and pretty much you need a dead calm wind and a cool morning or a cool afternoon and just have thermals override anything and blow it right back from where you came from because you have those extreme backdrafts. But with it being um, a second shotgun tag and a um, kind of planning setting up that farm more for late muzzleloader too for Brenton and the rest of the folks, that property, like you don't have to push in that deep to be where you need to be. If you kept pushing in, you'd get those backdrafts.
0: but you can stay
1: farther out. And I mentioned earlier that from from season last year and observations we had last year to this year, that big L-shaped tillable field, um, although the income is really nice to consider from a deer hunting perspective, that elbow back in there was one, impossible to hunt, impossible to access, but deer staged back there, like what we saw from last year's um, observations, so much. I mean, it was just, We want to talk about even more out of the wind. It was like, that would be awesome, but you could not get back there. I tried and tried to think and make it work, but it's like, you're, if, if you try and make that work, you're just going to blow everything else out. Let's just consider taking that out of production, pulling all that movement forward, not letting them feed their way to you, but just get up out of it, get to the food faster And get to where you can actually hunt, observe, and have these shots that are then within range. So, Mm -hmm. essentially, that's one of the big changes that happened, too. And as a result of that, the deer movement was super consistent from day to day. But all of it, from where we moved this blind into, was all within range. Like, 250 yards and in, it was on the money, like every every deer that we pretty much could see from that blind and we could see a good ways in several directions would be at some point within range and that was a humongous let's say advantage and change from last year to this year considering last year was just that kind of learning year we learned a lot and we were successful but the consistency of man i i hope these deer get to us compared to well, from last year, compared to he'll show up here on time or he'll get to within range because I just spotted him there. He's coming out, boom. And it was just super, super consistent. So to see those changes that were implemented from last year to this year yeah. was really awesome. Really awesome. Yeah.
0: What a difference. Uh, just a little bit of a you know a well laid plan and a little bit of the implementation being done can do to movement and success. Now the success was had last year, even without anything. And that's where like, (laughs) I look at like it's Iowa, like big portions of Iowa. You can have success without doing anything. Habitat wise, you just, they're there. And that's why so many shows are based out of Iowa. It's your, your uh, hours in the stand can be drastically cut compared to other other states where you may have to put in a lot more hours in a stand mm-hmm. to, to kill. I yeah, mean, that, for sure. that,
1: that is rather not filming shows in the Ozarks. <laughs> no doubt. But that I mean, that's the point, though, of this is, is you can take a really solid property and lay out some intense management on it, do work even in a year's time frame. And see yeah. changes and, and observe changes. And um, yes, last year tags were filled. This year um, tags were filled. But like at the end of the day, it's not just a measure of success where their tag was filled. It's how are these deer operating on the property? How are they moving? Has that changed? And yeah, for sure. And it wasn't just, let's say that, uh portion of the field being taken out of production yeah. there was a field beyond where we are hunting on the very north portion of the property and a lot of this property runs north and south um so that last year had been um a, a tillable crop right it was corn last year corn again this year excuse me corn last year we made yeah. the change this year because we wanted more of that movement in that valley that could be hunted um much more easily and and accessible, we didn't have to push through three quarters of the farm to get to that northern field. We said, let's just put that, we'll still have income out of that field, but let's put that in early season scenario and not have that as a late season forage to um, slow deer down as they get to, let's say the standing grain where they could be harvested and hunted much easier. So that was then put into alfalfa And, um, the amount of activity back there in a late season, December standpoint was we weren't even like, let's say questioning, do we need to go back there? It was, if you saw deer, they're passing through, like they were headed to the standing crane. So, uh, from a late season standpoint, it was like, okay, checkbox on that too. Like changing the food, um, scenario on, on that portion of the field definitely helped and then we cut in, let's see, one, two, five betting thickets, I think, um, in in the early April timeframe. That also tried to facilitate way more movement on the south end of this property. Um, we saw it on trail cameras throughout the um uh throughout the fall, October, November was silly from a consistency standpoint going into the week of, of hunting the second shotgun up there, there was, oh gosh, three to four bucks. They were like, okay, those, they step out. We're, we're confident they're four and a half plus. But the thing about it was they were so consistent during the rut, during the November timeframe on the cameras from where we, inti- where we changed things, anticipated movement, um, shifting and then placing cameras at it was, it was, Daily, that these deer were on cameras. Of course, some at night, um, but a lot of daylight photos and and having exact bedding locations. Even though I wasn't necessarily hunting that type of um, movement while being up there, we still experienced and saw it on camera. So that then translates still to some key points where deer were coming in and out of hitting that standing grain when I was up mm-hmm. there. So, mm. whew, it was it's just really fun to watch something develop and change and know it's headed in the right direction and seeing something that was like really good and solid to something. That's like, we made the right swings. Like we, we changed things. Possibly it wouldn't have surprised me if let's say none of the habitat things were put into place in the last Mm -hmm. year, still could have gone up there and been successful, confident like that. That's the the importance, let's say, if you're looking at property of buying the in, in the right neighborhood, right? Um the farm is good. Yeah. But we're making it but great what, one year at a You time. know,
0: what are some of the price per acres that, that are happening in that part of the world?
1: Um, pretty much right now you're expecting to pay fifty four to sixty four hundred dollars an acre.
0: Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. And I mean, that's insane for me, being an Ozark Doug County boy. Um, it's not it's not anything like that. But um, at the same time, the deer are not anything like that. So, uh, or you can't grow corn like they're growing up there on yeah. any property into good old Doug County. And so, uh,
1: I mean, there, yeah, there's you have, huge differences. You have definitely, uh, different differences on, on your income, your ROI, um, what, what you can do there from that standpoint, but, um, it, it's, it's just, it's in the right stuff. And, and I have, you know how there's that Boone and Crockett map, Adam, um, that everyone just oogles over and looks at and whatnot. Or like they always try and base it off of like crop and ag. Um, yeah. I, I would love to see someone take that same map and on on like talk about the terrain features that are in the areas that big deer killed at. Yeah. just Because there's a strong correlation to areas that have let's say a lot of turbulent winds, a lot of, um, a lot, a lot more, let's say topography features that are sometimes more difficult to hunt. Deer know how to survive in hills? And a lot of people yeah. don't know how to hunt in hills. So that makes a situation where deer get old. Like you think about Buffalo County, Wisconsin, um, if anyone's been to Buffalo County, you know, there's some hills there. So it's just, it's funny how these areas that um have those type of terrain features generally have really good age structures you take that and then you put it on top of iowa those regulations too so you have like the western side of iowa and the less hills and the northeast corner um along the river bluffs up there man it's just crazy how old and the age structure that those regions of the state get
0: mm-hmm. yeah i can't find a recent one um a recent boone and crockett map but um i i i know that that whole overlay just kills me every time i see it because it's like (laughs) honestly i see it in a presentation i just like oh lord where are we going with this i i'm on the edge of my seat tell me more
1: yeah right Uh, adam i'm gonna send you a picture i meant to to send it to you and chad um I got sent to me from a client the other night. This is in the northeast portion of Iowa, so you'll know who uh who this comes from. Yeah. But I just want you to look at the number of deer in this field. And this is late season Iowa.
0: <laughs> oh my um, gosh. That is stupid.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean I, I would count the podcast, but I can't. And that that were fenced and then two or three days later uh two or three days prior to this photo were taken was taken down
0: but how many deer who's actually sat down and counted that
1: i don't know i don't have enough fingers and toes um to do that right now but um not surprisingly uh the gentleman's wife harvested a great buck um there like two nights ago
0: so i got over 40 just in a real rough
1: count off by of the camera image yeah an yeah. elevated trail camera image, but that's like, oh man, that's that's the kind of thing though. Like, I, 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 it's it's hard to describe something that a lot of people don't get to experience from a just improving and seeing changes from year to year on properties. Yeah, it's almost like it's too good to be true, but it's just not. Like uh, it, I was
0: gonna say, in in keeping in a festive with the festive times this is the week of christmas which we should say merry christmas to every listener out there very merry christmas and um we hope you guys enjoy your time with your family and friends and kids and anyone else you're going to enjoy this uh wonderful most important holiday second most important holiday of the year and uh, number first being easter of course um and we we can't thank you guys enough for joining us each and every week listening to this podcast. But what I was going to say, keeping up with this festive time, Matt, is hunting properties with no work. Like you're hunting permission properties. You're hunting yeah. public land. You're hunting places that you can't do habitat manipulation and habitat restoration. And there's nothing wrong with not doing it. But Matt and I and many of our listeners just enjoy doing it. You feel like you're having an impact in yeah. in what's happening uh, for the wildlife. And you know, I've seen it on my own farm, I've seen it on clients' properties. you 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 really are making a difference and in that difference, you're able to see and harvest more deer, put more feet, meat in the freezer. I about said feet in the freezer, um, put more meat in the freezer. <laughs> And um, just overall in having more enjoyment on your property and increase the value of the property. But if you're hunting it as is, it's kind of like the white elephant Christmas party. You never know what you're going to get
1: No. And sometimes it could
0: be really good, but sometimes it could be three years of whatever. socks. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Towel. I got a towel for Christmas. Oh, another
1: ornament. Thanks grandma. Yeah. 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 I, it, not not like everything that you it's it's not like okay, most properties like every region, I guess what I'm trying to say here is every region is gonna have a different response and how fast things can change
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how fast things can improve, so for instance, like this area we had really good weather we there's a there's a good deer density. There's a good age structure. So, when we see deer mm-hmm. change patterns, change and hunt it for a week during the same exact week from one year to the next, and you have that, and you can you have enough deer just visible moving that you can observe those patterns change, that's going to change your perception of how improved things are. Then, if you go to an area and do the same quality of work, but have a really low deer density your observations just aren't as much. So you may not put as much faith and stock into the work that you did, but as long, just keep in mind wherever you're at that your expectations, there is some relativity to that. Um, If you're used to shooting 120s or that's what the mature deer are in your area, don't expect it to necessarily just next year evolve into something just, you know, you're setting state records here. What we're looking for and talking about is consistency um, of the deer activity, and then we're starting to see age class development. Um, like some of the some of the sets that we had, I see this more so in, in the evening set over over food late season. But, and Adam, you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about is the progression of age structure that steps onto the field, like the first couple deer that come out, you got doe groups, you got some, maybe a young buck singles um, that come out, they start sparring and then you might have some other single does or whatever filter in throughout the rest of the night. But generally the does step out roughly the same time. And then right behind that's year and a half olds, 20 minutes later, two and a half year olds, then you might get lucky and see some three and a half year olds. And then you start getting to the mature class. But it's almost like you can set your watch to when deer are undisturbed or they are driven to food, you should see that type of development. And again, relative to where you're at, if you don't have a lot of three and a half year olds or four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year olds in, in your region, then you're not going to see this. But you should hopefully get to a point where you can experience that consistency of movement from like, Oh, this was a good night because we saw these caliber of deer show up or this age class of deer show up. Deer moved early because we saw them all or, man, I feel like it was a little bit later because we saw does and, and a couple two and a half year olds. But like, mm-hmm. you, I'm sure you saw it when you were filming a lot up, up uh North Missouri, Iowa. Um, I know we've seen it on some of the hunts on the, the big field there at the woodlands, just that big progression of this is the food source and here they come and it's like clockwork almost
0: no doubt yep yep this is the food source and you're just putting in your time and and know it's going to pay off um yeah yeah so I uh, how is your hunt compare last year to this year as far as your anticipation or your mindset moving forward
1: um I was I was definitely anticipating that that hunt throughout the whole year. Like I I knew that based on last year, and then watching, not putting any pressure on that farm or or, or Breton. You know, he bow hunted several times when his time would allow, but minimal pressure on that property, um, and seeing through the months of October, November, early December. The deer activity. It was it was just a matter of time before one of those bucks showed up on the field. And most most times, right, you, you're coming out of the rut. Most everything has been harvested from late September till late October, grain wise, right. So a lot of the other fields are depleted from a corn standpoint of of what's left over, or it's just not nearly of attractive or easy. So if you have areas or portions of standing grain, um, then you can see phenomenal amounts of deer. So we had all those things. And then looking forward to, it was like, okay, we're going to get cold. We have the weather on our side. Um, so I had really high expectations. And truthfully, I thought, I th- honestly, I thought it was going to be one day in the stand. And I think it would have been, don't know, but first morning in, oh, we saw we get to bigger. go
0: into this hot topic, don't we?
1: We get to go into this hot topic um, because it, it is it is relevant. I, I mean, I don't think <sighs> there's it's people... too
0: relevant. That's why my blood pressure starts to build whenever <laughs> this gets brought
1: up. <laughs> um, but morning one of the hunt, there was a um, a one of the big mature deer, one of the 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 four that we had targeted um steps onto the field now he's at 375 400 yards because morning one we stayed farther back and we're like let's just observe see something in range fantastic but i just want to see what the field's doing um and that interaction and movement of deer so we kind of have a better game plan of what we do during an evening hunt so deer shows up 400 yards away goes beds up on a, on a ridge. And we're like, fantastic. Like you're probably going to be bedded within 200, 250 yards of the field. Um, this is, this is literally wonderful, but then we begin packing up and, um, the dogs began to run and they're running deer literally all morning long from, from 10 o'clock on till, sunset that night we heard dogs barking at least every 10 minutes and it was 360 around us some of course on that farm we saw deer starting to um get bumped and moved around from these dogs and didn't know who's they were at the time talked to other hunters um neighbors and uh they've experienced much of the same Lo and behold, it is a neighbor mile and a half, two miles away. And they these are specifically um, dogs to run coyotes kind of thing up in Iowa, in that portion of the world is um, running coyotes. So these dogs are greyhounds and they know how to run. So it's not like, hey, you're, this dog bounced a deer and it just popped over to the next ridge. We're talking running for hundreds and hundreds of yards if not thousands of yards because it's just you can hear a dog faintly and getting closer and closer and closer and closer and then wham here it is Mm -hmm. awful scenario so were
0: they really running coyotes or were they running deer
1: or running deer yeah that's what they that was their purpose from the landowner was they were coyote dogs like that was his thing um but no absolutely not they were they were thousand percent running 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 deer and um kind of a uncontrolled situation of many people were, were had seen and dealt with them other portions of this um the hunting season this fall and yeah. um so anyhow massive massive disturbance from uh just consistency of behavior activity had no idea honestly what to expect for the rest of the week so it was really kind of a, a gut punch of um here's a fantastic morning there's one of the shooters the weather's going to be good um mm. it could happen this evening but then deer are just getting run all over the countryside so i i yeah. think for the next couple of days preceding that um one there's some high winds like um un- normal high winds but there was just this almost settling back down of that behavior mm-hmm. um, and then once you once they got into the groove of things <laughs>
0: once they were forced to it sounds like the weather the weather changed yeah. and it was like yeah okay it's calming down but i got it to eat it's getting cold Had do eat. Yeah. so I, you know I, I don't know if i've said this on the podcast talking about the past on the on the family farm um but there was a portion of time where we had a neighbor that had a I don't know, a big heart, let's say, and started taking in dogs. Right. And one of those dogs had a a love to run. Um and almost every morning in the fall that year, those two years that they were a problem, they um you'd hear them start up and they would start coming up the hill. And it was just yeah. like when you started hearing them, you were like, cross your fingers, pray, close your eyes and pray. Please go north. Please go north. Please go north. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. meant they would end up going up to a cousin of ours, and they would call <laughs> us and be like, "Are you guys dealing with these dogs?" I'm like, yeah,
1: we did yesterday, but, but you got them the day, Hoss. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And um, you know, and it, there was a one one point where it was over five dogs. I remember running yes. from 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 the big dogs took a couple of coon hounds down to kind of these mutt looking things down to the smaller beagle type dogs. And you're just like, man, we got the whole crew out and it got so bad that we would see, you know, watching deer as soon as a dog barked, it was kind of like they would listen. Like, is that in at the house? Okay. That's at the house. And then as they barked and moved closer, it was like, okay, we're out of here. Um, to go. this is not, you know, um, the, the immense pressure that those dogs were putting on the deer herd, our local deer herd was just, just, it was unnecessary. It was, and and I know there's dog lovers and, and people that, you know, but, but the difference between a pet and a dog run deer, like, that's just like, it's not for sport. It's just doing it for the sake of doing it because it's a dog and it enjoys it. There's a huge difference in that. And I wish people would understand that, that the amount of you know, people that talk about loving. Oh man, I'm, I'm really getting into a pot here. I better watch my words and choose them wisely because I know a lot of people that are I'll take you
1: out of my pot if I need to, I'll try. Okay. (laughs) So
0: almost the, at the beginning of time when this neighbor had their dogs, they almost didn't enjoy the fact that we were hunters, but yet their dogs could do whatever they wanted. And it was, Sure. nothing like Sorry. and so it was like they looked down on us a little bit because we were hunters but at same time their dogs were running deer all over and putting more stress and more negative impact on landscape than we ever would as hunters and it just it was, really it was
1: a, it's a sport for the dog essentially really it's, it's,
0: bugged me if you hear me gritting my teeth and the fact of like the the it's a very touchy subject because people talk about them being pets but yet if they're running dog uh, running deer it really is obnoxious and that's just not the impact uh just with deer many other animals so um there's my soapbox rank and i better get off of it before i get canceled
1: yeah there's a lot i mean there's a there's a lot of undue unnecessary stress um placed on deer when there's dogs Um, for example
0: when you told me i'm gonna really get rant rant ranting here when you told me that dogs are on the place i was highly irritated for you for Brenton yeah. for everyone involved because I know I haven't seen the 137 that's kind of your project but I know how much time is committed to restoring that landscape to improving that farm to making it better for some jerkwad if you if I can say that to just let the dogs run loose and completely yeah. put that negative impact on the whole landscape and it's like you you just of all the time um, cutting and restoring and, and food plots and blinds and all the money invested to have some disrespectful person think it's no big deal to let them run through there. It just, man, it irritates me. And I get so irritated for our clients whenever they say, Hey, um, you know, I had, I had this message come in this week, so it's been on my mind a lot. Um, how is your work and all the stuff and all the betting tickets work whenever dogs are involved? Well, what are you asking? I mean, because if you're asking me if dogs can run through the bedding tickets, will the betting tickets continue to work? No, not like they would if they weren't dogs. And
1: I, I think I, I think the big thing is we have to identify pressures, pressure. And 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 like you can look and watch deer behavior in and around dog activity and realize hey there's a negative impact that's non-negotiable everyone can agree on that so if you continue to place that negative association um in relationship and you continually apply that pressure then it's going to negatively impact it's going to increase stress load it's going to um cause deer re- movement out of the area right. yeah totally it's going to it's going to um I can't think of the right word here, a little lack of sleep, but like it is going to dissipate or, or disperse, there we go, disperse the mm-hmm. activity from that area, whether it's yeah. good quality cover or not. And and no that like, there's a lot of places and a lot of things um, that are in your control when it comes to private land ownership and producing quality habitat to have it disrupted um, by, by things that are, are, you know, very difficult to change and have an impact on. Um, no doubt. I had a, I had a client um, text me about, you know, situations in in another state too. And they have regulations that, um, you know, are, are, are different. And every state's different. But it's like, just think about scenarios of like, we all know that feral cats are an issue with wildlife and their association to ground nesting birds. Like that's research, that's studied, that's produced, there are very large um you know issues with the consumption right and then there are things like feral pigs that are also very but, you know, did you see wild. that
0: new research or that stuff they posted on social media this week talking about feral pigs and their impact on uh, on not on on the native ecosystem and just game and non-game species it was just like no, basically uh an impact of of a uh, just a negative impact on everything right and so it was like every time you place a non-native species that has a, you know you know uh like a pig has a pretty big impact cats have a pretty big impact seems like everything that's non-native will have a pretty big impact whether you think it does or not Mm -hmm. and a running dog is not like a coyote and i'd hate when people try to compare the two
1: well right because there there's a definite difference there um and it and it just is a thousand percent a negative a negative impact. And so it's like you like there are some dogs who are kept and there's some who are unkept. And listen, I get it, like sometimes dogs just get out and there's accidents that, that happen and occur. Um, like, oh, the 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 fence broke, had a tree fall on the, the fence of a pen or um daughter accidentally dropped the the leash once in a blue moon occasions happen like
0: yeah oops, accidental my 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 debate on that or i guess my would say that a dog gets out one time he doesn't know how to run a deer but if he's if he's running a deer he's he's been, he's a, out. Are he's you been saying out he's been out a time or two
1: he's a re- repeat offender
0: he's a repeat <laughs> offender
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and we get well, pretty
0: strict pretty strict laws on we're like texas you're in
1: texas three strikes <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. three strikes and first strike counts as three
1: yeah. <laughs> well yeah. it's, it's just a it's a tough uh it's a it's a tough battle and, and there's a lot of things that um weigh into all those and and yeah no matter what at the beginning uh, of the big it, it definitely discouraged your movement displaced it um, i'm
0: sure it did they always do yeah, and it's like, you know, when you told me that, it's just like, oh gosh, I hope that stops, or that their chance of success is almost it's a mature deer we're talking about your hunting. The most yeah. finicky one of all. Yeah.
1: And and it's like <laughs> good well, luck, I hope they stop. For for instance, we saw two deer on the field at dark, the one yeah. night, and and all the other nights, or I shouldn't say all the other nights, the final night. Um and don't get me wrong, there's weather that plays into all this, but on the final night, we saw 40 to 50. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. obviously, fresh disturbance, completely displacing deer. It's gonna, it, that's the degree we're talking about, in the impact mm-hmm. and the change. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, well, I'm glad you overcame.
1: And that was just the thing of, like, there was there's really only one option um luckily access was good back into where we realigned some things um and made rode the hole
0: i rode the hole this year and it paid off for me it didn't matter Absolutely. i mean if
1: Absolutely. access
0: is good and and your wind is good in the stand i'm not afraid to ride the hole and i know okay. you're not either and by okay. golly i think that's Choose one of the big areas. things about fixing the habitat and restoring the habitat and making it good as long as everything else is good you can do that. And, uh, yeah,
1: there's, there's so many people who are the first time in kind of guy. And I think that there is probably, um, there's probably truth to that, but guess what? If no one knows that you're going in and out, it's all the first time scenarios and the wind cooperates. It's all a first time scenario. So, um, when you got those right conditions, yes, ride the whole out, ultimately fifth morning, snow was blowing sideways. And eight o'clock, this big 10 that we had on Tacticam um throughout the week, just never a daylighted on that field. Mm-hmm. Came out and presented a perfect clean broadside shot and game over. Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, as my wife so politely reminded me, the post off closes at 445, and I've got a hat uh a hat to ship. No, multiple hats shipped. So
1: oh, well, anyway, no worries. Guys. <clears throat> hopefully that was enjoyable and uh i know i despite the uh disruption of the hunt definitely enjoyed it um it'll it'll go down to just another awesome opportunity for western iowa to shed light on late season hunting um and we're wishing you the best merry christmas that you can have